0: Welcome to this virtual conference on options for a sustainable Irish transport system, how to achieve carbon neutrality. I'm Brian Maguire. This event is a EurActive Media Partnership organized by the Embassy of Brazil in Dublin and Apex Brazil in partnership with the Irish Bioenergy Association. You can follow this debate at hashtag EADebates and please tweet your comments using that hashtag or social media team. I will respond uh, to you there. And to ask questions, go to the chat section and use the ask button. We'll bring those questions to the panel during the course of the discussion. You don't need to wait until the end of the uh, discussion to send your questions. Do it as soon as you can. And we'll bring those uh, questions directly uh, to the panel experts. So in Ireland, the transport sector accounts over 40% of CO2 emissions. The Irish government has set an emissions reduction target of 51% by 2030. And this target will be challenging The Irish transport sector. The Irish government is strongly focused on the electrification of transport as a decarbonisation solution. In addition to electrified solutions, significant volumes of sustainable bioenergy and biofuels, including ethanol, will be needed to achieve the ambitious 2030 decarbonisation target. Brazil, however, is the second largest producer of biofuels in the world and has the largest fleet of flex fuel vehicles. For over 50 years now, cars in Brazil have been powered by sustainable biofuels that not only mitigate climate change, but also promote economic growth, social inclusion, and public health benefits. This webinar will focus on the solutions to the Irish challenge of decarbonizing its transport sector and how sustainable biofuels, along with other measures, can contribute towards it with panelists from Brazil, Ireland. And Sweden. And that panel today, uh, we have with us uh, Plinio Nostari, he's the president and CEO of DataGrow, the president of the Brazilian Institute of Bioenergy and Bioeconomy. Uh, Emily Rees she, uh, from UNICA, the Brazilian uh, Sugarcane Industry Association. Uh, Sean Finnan, he's the CEO of the Irish uh, Bioenergy Association. Uh, James Cogan, he's the Ethanol uh, Europe. And uh, Gustav Mellon, CEO of the Swedish Bioenergy Association as well. Great to have all of you uh, with us uh, today. Let I me mean, declare my interest in being Irish and married to a Brazilian. Um, so uh, some of these bases are covered already. The p- panel today, I'm going to give them 60 seconds uh, approximately, just a little bit longer if you like, um, to uh, give your opening remarks. And uh, then we'll go into the panel discussion uh, from there as well. Uh, let's kick off with Sean. Sean Finnan.
1: Uh, Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks, Brian, for the introduction. Uh, My name is Sean Fine, I work for the Irish Bioenergy Association. We're the representative body for the bioenergy sector on the island of Ireland, and our membership covers the sectors of biomass, biogas, biofuels, wood fuels and energy crops. Um, Our role is to represent and advocate on behalf of our members and promote and develop the sector. I would like to highlight our positive collaboration with the Irish uh, Brazilian Embassy Um, and also to um, the Apex Brazil organization for reaching out to Airbia about partnering for this event. I would like to particularly acknowledge the ambassador um, and also Annecy and the embassy for their work in organizing this event. And also thanks to our media partners at Euroactive. Today, we discussed about the Irish transport system. Uh, The government has an ambitious target of 51% emissions reduction by 2030. Uh, this does present a significant challenge for the Irish transport sector. Uh, In recent weeks, we have seen the publication of the Climate Action Plan. Uh, This does contain measures to increase the blending rates of biofuels. Um, However, we believe that this ambition should be further increased and also the timelines by which it should be implemented should be accelerated. Uh, The discussion um, on decarbonisation of transport at an Irish and indeed at a European level has predominantly focused on electrification. Uh, This discussion needs to be much broader. achievement of electric vehicle targets and indeed all technology and fuel options should be um, part of the mix in order for uh, ireland to achieve the 51 percent emissions reduction by 2030. there needs also to be a strong emphasis on the roles of ethanol biodiesel and biomethane in contributing to the ambitious government emissions reduction target and in the short term there's potential for them for those blending rates for ethanol and biodiesel to increase from their current rates and um, and this should happen we in our view straight away and um, there's also strong potential for biomethane and recent um indeed an, an eu commission study um, did say that the uh, on an assessment of the potential of biogas from digestion in the eu beyond 2030 or sorry beyond 2020 that ireland has the largest potential for growth of this sector so we cannot ignore this and it needs to be implemented in terms of policy levers in order to make this happen make this happen Um, to conclude um, i would like to just draw your attention to the fact that airbia has commissioned ucc marai uh, to uh, develop a report in terms of renewables and transport Uh, we will be launching that report next week and in the period up to 2030 the report suggests that we should identify and identifies five core policy areas that need to deliver need to be delivered To achieve a 51 percent reductions in emissions those five areas include uh, the the, uh, achievement of the government's stated ambition of 940,000 electric vehicles by 2030 increasing the blending rates of um, ethanol and also biodiesel efficiency and behavior measures that can reduce surface transport fuel consumption by 17 percent target of five terawatt hours in terms of biomethane production for use in heavy transport and indeed an ambitious target of two terawatt hours of hydro treated vegetable oils, HVO, following best practice in terms of the Swedish renewable transport policy. So, I will conclude on this by just thanking you all for joining us today, and I look forward to uh, being part of the panel discussion. Thank you.
0: Sean Feynman, thank you so much uh, introduction. And let's go to James Cogan. James. Hi. Uh, yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Mr. Ambassador, to
2: APEX and to IRBA. Yeah, my name is James Hogan. I'm with Ethanol Europe. I represent an Irish-Hungarian organisation that produces uh, around, I don't know, about twelve percent of Europe's uh, uh, ethanol. And uh, the ethanol that we produce uh, is uh, uh, about eighty percent less carbon intensive than the petrol it replaces in cars on European roads. And we also produce food, about the same amount of food as we do uh, energy, because we. We produce our uh, ethanol energy from uh, European crops, and those crops uh, also uh, become food as well as becoming energy. Um, I guess in terms of you know the context we're in now, um, in Glasgow, Glasgow 10 days ago, Mary Robinson called for a crisis mode approach to climate action and uh, and to having carbon emissions by 2030 and if we zoom down into the transport sector in ireland that equates to having diesel and petrol use in transport by 2030 or eight percent cuts every year which is just an extraordinary amount and uh, coming back from glasgow and getting back to i guess what you call the real world you'd see that we're in anything but crisis mode it's really at least i don't see any of the signs of crisis mode uh, activity um, i mean once cop was over the whole discussion kind of faded from the media, and we're not seeing kind of crisis mode actions taking place in the field. Um, this year, Ireland could well increase its transport emissions, and it could well increase them uh, next year. So, crisis mode would mean reversing that increase trend and using every uh, available measure to the greatest extent possible. I mean, the 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 IEA and the United Nations IPCC group, who are you know the ultimate authorities on climate change and climate action. Uh, uh, calculate that bioenergy and transport would want to contribute between 15 and 30% of the energy in the sector if climate change is to be uh, you know, kept within the, the parameters currently being discussed. Uh, in Ireland, uh, Ireland's transport system, which is uh, consumes about 4 million tonnes of oil equivalent a year, and um, about 1% of, a bit over 1% of the European total, um that is uh, and we've about three million vehicles and essentially all of our ireland's transport runs on petrol and diesel uh, a amount goes through electricity that's mostly the dart and the lewis and of that 4 million tons uh five percent of it is renewable and of that five percent all of it is bioenergy so that's ethanol and biodiesel now there are some electric cars around and there is a little bit of renewable electricity in the dart and the lewis but the volumes are so small as to not figure you know they don't move the dial yet that's not to say they won't ever move the dial they will of course uh, but uh, they're not moving the dial yet and um, so that five percent that's currently um uh, powered by bioenergy uh, that is uh, highly um carbon not you know it's it, it the, the carbon intensity is much lower it's between 80 and 100 percent lower than the petrol or diesel it's replacing which is a a a very good result and the volume of bioenergy in the system so ethanol biodiesel but also biomethane in heavy goods vehicles and and buses uh, could easily be doubled or trebled by 2030 with a kind of judicious judicious deployment uh, of those kind of fuels in the system and um, now to achieve this, uh, like anything, there's no lever in the Department of Transport or the Department of Energy where you can just dial up more of this stuff um, to, to improve, increase the amount of renewables in the system and reduce emissions, whether it's by bioenergy or electromobility, requires you know, massive effort by the regulators and the public st- stakeholders, and requires massive investment of, kind of uh, you know, skill and competence and, and analysis to get the right mix. Uh, but it can be done, and uh, I guess that's what we're advocating. And, you know, we advocate getting down to work and getting to it uh, this year rather than putting it off.
3: Thank you.
0: James Cogan, thank you so much. Uh, Plinio Nastari, over to you.
3: Thank you very much. I'm Plinio Nastari from the Brazilian Institute of Bioenergy and Bioeconomy. Thanks to the Brazilian Embassy in Dublin, uh, Apex Brazil and Um And thank you, Brian. Uh, Well, I would like to say that uh, there's a sense of urgency uh, today in the whole world towards uh, measures to control climate change. And uh, bioenergy uh, seems to provide uh, a very interesting solution amongst uh, other options at hand. Uh, It's scalable. It's replicable. Uh, There are no technical barriers really to implement it. It's affordable to consumers. And in fact, it It calls for the declaration of vision, which was set in COP23 in Bonn, issued by countries that represent over 50% of the world's population and endorsed by the International Energy Agency and IRENA, saying that bioenergy, uh, as a proportion of world energy demand, must double until 2030. In order to achieve uh, the target of uh, limiting global warming to two degrees, uh, two degrees Celsius. And uh, sustainable uh, biofuels must triple uh, in the same horizon to 2030 um, in land, sea, and air uh, to achieve the same target. Uh, uh, Brazil's experience in that regard, uh, where 48% of Uh, Autocycle fuels uh, are being uh, substituted by ethanol. Uh, 13% of diesel is being substituted by biodiesel. And there's a huge potential for biomethane. Uh, Provide uh, a very good example that with very little land in Brazil, in fact, with only 0.6% of Brazil's territory, uh, all this is being achieved uh, in a certified way guaranteeing that there's zero deforestation uh, and there is an incentive for increased efficiency uh, in energy and environmental terms, uh, this experience shows that it's doable. Uh, and that is there is uh, automotive technology uh, that is capable of using sustainable biofuels, which is capable of meeting the most restrictive Um, emission limits Um, therefore today even the so-called primitive internal combustion engines are emitting much less than the um, electrified battery electric vehicles uh, which uh, are so fashionable today um, in many countries Um, uh, when you look at the life cycle assessment and not only the tailpipe emissions So it's very important that you recognize the importance of choosing the right path to choose uh, which is the best uh, combination of fuel and motorization to achieve decarbonization in in transport. So the the Brazilian experience, the potential that exists in many countries, including Ireland, um, indicate that um, uh, when people seek hydrogen as a solution, We have hydrogen at hand, easy to transport, store, and distribute through sustainably produced biofuels like ethanol and biomethane. Um, And I I think uh, today we'll have a a host of opportunities to discuss how this can evolve, uh, not only in Brazil, but in Ireland and many parts of the world, like it is happening in India, Southeast Asia, Latin America, and Africa. Thank you. Lina thank you so much. Lots of great points
0: there. we'll pick up on those in the discussion in just a moment. Uh, Emily Rees, over to you.
4: Thank you very much, Brian. And uh, to the Embassy of Brazil uh, in Ireland, Apex Brazil, the Irish uh, Bioenergy Association, uh, for convening... Uh, this very timely discussion. Um, I'm here representing UNICA, the the Brazilian Sugarcane Industry Association, and we are the leading trade association for sugarcane industry in Brazil. And that's representing around 55% of the country's sugarcane production and processing, 60% of ethanol production, nearly 70% of all the bioelectricity that feeds into the national grid. Um, During the last uh, harvest, the 2020-2021 harvest, Brazil um, produced approximately uh, 657 million tonnes of sugarcane. So that's the the raw material that's used to produce um, over 41 million tonnes of sugar and also 32.5 billion litres of ethanol. Um, as well as, um, uh, as we mentioned, uh, uh, quite a lot of bioelectricity that feeds into the Brazilian national grid. Uh, So sugarcane ethanol uh in brazil has already been decarbonizing transport systems in the country it was mentioned with flex fuel technology but not only um in brazil it really is um i would say um a, a decarbonization solution which we're seeing um being taken up by transport systems around the world and there's a reason for that because not only can it be much cheaper than fossil fuels but it is immediately available it's available now. Um, And most vehicles, especially vehicles in Europe, can support up to a 20% blend without any difficulty. So it's immediately implementable. Um, I would say it it comes at a very low transition cost. And that's why so many are interested in this, um, in in ethanol here in Europe. Um, it's, i think it's been said but it, it's worth maybe repeating that um you know sugarcane ethanol performs uh better uh than any other liquid biofuel uh, produced on a commercial scale and it reduces ghg emissions in comparison to fossil fuels by around 77 percent um, and up to 90 percent. Um, That is quite considerable um, when we're looking at, uh, again, this incredibly uh, ambitious target that Ireland has uh, to decarbonise its transport system. Um, In the European Union, Basically, considering that renewable fuels, hybrid electric and electrically chargeable passenger cars uh, only make up for 4.6% of uh, passenger car fleets. And and I believe it was mentioned that the the, the threshold in in, in Ireland is is below that one of the EU. um, Achieving the decarbonisation target that's been set for 2030 um, will remain out of reach. Unless um, all the sustainable technologies are, are in fact uh, in- included. And that's why when we're looking at uh, EVs, so these electric vehicles and biofuels, well, actually, it's combined that they're part of um, uh, um, the solution that we need to decarbonize uh, road transport. Um, you know, essentially, the International Energy uh, Agency has already concluded. Um, Electrification alone will not uh allow us to reach our, our targets in Europe or, or reach any type of climate neutrality for the transport system. So that's why when we look at renewable biofuels, they really are part of, uh, of the mix. Um again, we we can see that in a in a way Ireland has been lagging behind, I think, in this transition. And I'm very um I'm looking forward to hearing the example also from Sweden, but we've also seen, for instance, France, where uh E85, uh, so this is the 85% blend of ethanol with fossil fuels, is inc- growing at a steady, steady pace with now one quarter of distributors across France uh, providing the option for uh, uh, passengers to refuel with E85. Um, obviously, um, we we do hope to see that Ireland will move towards uh, an E10 blending um, uh, this next year. And in a way, that would only be catching up, I would say, uh, to a certain point. I mean, 15 European countries, member states, already use E10 as their basic benchmark, and many more are moving towards um, uh, higher blends as part of uh, their renewable uh, energy uh, strategies. Um, So, I really hope that Ireland is in a place now to seize the opportunity that there is. Uh, again, um, sugarcane, ethanol and ethanol in general. I mean, they're solutions that are easily implementable and that most cars uh, already support without the use of any new technologies. So hopefully we'll have a ripe debate today.
0: Thank you, Emily. Emily Rees. And uh, let's go to our final panelist, uh, Gustav Mellon. Gustav, how are you?
5: I'm good, thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, event Uh, and uh, as you heard I'm from Sweden even though I'm in Brussels today and uh, Sweden is not so much agriculture, it's mainly forest and uh, uh, we have currently actually 38% of our all energy use is from bioenergy and mainly from the forest and still uh, actually, almost the same volume is of residues in the forest is still uh, emitting its carbon dioxide in the forest when uh, mouldering. So there is still a lot of potential to pick more biomass out of the Swedish forests. Uh, we are not on the same level as Brazil when it comes to biofuels, but we are on we are best in Europe currently. We have uh, about 23 percent. Uh, of biofuels of all road transport, but uh, today I like to focus uh, a little bit uh, on the long-term discussion because I believe that biofuel is not a short-term solution when we, in the future, go over to hydrogen or electrification. I believe this proposal that we should uh, phase out the combustion engine is uh, something that isn't really properly thought through Uh, because you should remember that uh, combustion is not so strange or dangerous when you're out running you say that you go out to burn carbs and actually when you eat biomass or put biomass in an engine it's the same reaction so uh, in the body we call it uh, cell respiration but it's the, exactly the same chemistry. So combustion is not something strange or dangerous if you use a modern uh, engine or modern boiler. So uh, I believe in measuring uh, the emissions uh, and control that they are not uh, unhealthy, and then it will be fine to, uh, to use uh, combustion engines for a long time. Uh, actually there is not a single living cell on this planet that is not running on cell respiration or combustion. So biofuels is definitely a long-term solution.
0: Staff, thank you. I want to see if I can change my uh, running diet over to uh, ethanol then as well, perhaps. Um, Plinio, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was about the, the life assessment and you compared electrical vehicles to combustion engines as well. That was super interesting. Is uh, you know, People don't tend to think that way. You know, Electrical vehicles are good, and anything to do with combustion engines uh, are politically bad. Um, but explain this uh, to us a little bit more about what this means in terms of, of the life cycle and how uh, biofuels and bioethanol can play into this.
3: Sure. Thank you for addressing this issue, Brian. Uh, well, essentially, when you look only at tailpipe emissions, Um, you are using the concept tank to wheel. If you want to take into account uh, uh, the uh, carbon which is generated in the generation of the uh, energy until the end use of it, then uh, the concept you are using is well to wheel. And if you want to include the uh, carbon emissions in the production of the systems utilized, to use the energy like the vehicles or the batteries and the discard of all this, you would be using the concept cradle to grave. Well, there's plenty of research already in the well to wheel. Cradle to graves is still being uh, further uh, developed, but under the well to wheel, what we know already is that the uh, internal combustion engine using sustainably produced biofuels like ethanol and biomethane Um, produce emissions which are much lower than the emissions of the battery electric car, which is currently being precluded as a solution in many countries. So in Brazil, the flex car using ethanol is emitting 58 grams of CO2 per kilometer. While in Europe, the battery electric vehicle is emitting 92 grams of CO2 per kilometer. The hybrids using ethanol, which uh, have been sold in Brazil since 2019, are emitting 29 grams of CO2 per kilometer. So what we find today is that most automakers are uh, having a difficulty in meeting their targets set for 2020, 2021. uh, And on average, they are emitting 122 grams while they should be emitting 96 grams today. Well, using ethanol and using uh, in the future more and more biomethane. Um, uh, What the experience in Brazil is showing is that we are already, uh, automakers are already meeting the most restrictive uh, emission limits. And this is being done on a very sustainable manner, certified manner guaranteeing that there's zero deforestation. Uh, So this model um, is now being perceived as being replicable uh, to other countries. India is pursuing the same objective.
0: Let's come back to this in just a second. Emily, I just wanted to, to, to ask about the sustainability element of this as well, because the perception in Europe, rightly or wrongly, is that Brazil's burning uh, rainforests, and there's no way that we could uh, allow further uh, erosion of of uh, the farming agricultural land to produce uh, more ethanol. How does that stack up?
4: Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate that, that question. And I think that there we have really a supreme case of misunderstanding of uh, one, uh, Brazil, if I may say so. Um, Not in the sense that there isn't a problem of illegal deforestation, there is. But 92% of sugarcane production in Brazil, um, the sugarcane that's produced to make both ethanol and sugar, is harvested in in south-central Brazil, and that's around 2,500 kilometres from the Amazon. So just to give you an idea, it's roughly the same distance as Dublin to Morocco. Um, that doesn't mean that there isn't an issue, but it means that it's an issue that, you know, it's not exactly where the production is taking place. Um, And I think that this has already been very well acknowledged at a European uh, Union level. So the European Commission has run a number of studies on this, um, you know, uh, because there are preoccupations, and I think that we should consider them um, rightfully. And the European Commission's own researchers, so they dug into this and they looked at not only direct land use change, but indirect land use change, any uh, potential environmental degradation that could be occurring not only from the current production levels of sugarcane in Brazil, but also in a scenario of increased demand. Um, So they were looking at a a pretty spectacular uh, increase of demand up to 2030 when they ran this study. And what they found was that sugarcane um, ethanol is a low ilac risk product. So that means that it's got a very low risk of uh, creating a land use change, uh, either direct or indirect, right? Um, and effectively they found that that The reason for this is that when you have an expansion of production in Brazil, in the south central part of Brazil, as mentioned, it's mostly occurring on degraded, old degraded pasture lands. So these are um, fields that are left idle, essentially, um, where there was uh, sometimes uh, some cows, um, but effectively is very degraded. When you bring in sugarcane production, what you're doing is you're putting that land back into um, uh, one, an agricultural production land, but also it means that it falls under the scope of the Forest Code, um, which foresees that, you know, uh, from 20 to 30% of the land, depending which biome you are in, but for us, I'm talking about the the south of Brazil in this case, um, would have to be protected, meaning that you're actually going to ensure uh, a reforestation, I would say, of most of those degraded pastures. I mean, I could obviously um, go into this topic in in a lot more um, uh, detail, but I would like to mention there's another thing. As mentioned, you know, a lot of the production is happening in the state of Sao Paulo, and um, um, a long, um, a while ago in 2018, now a couple of years ago, uh, the state of Sao Paulo and uh, producers in the state of Sao Paulo came together and created what we call a green uh, protocol and it's not only looking at uh, questions of protecting forests, there is a zero deforestation policy, I I must insist on that under the the, the Brazilian um, uh, biofuels policy but it also looked at other things which maybe we don't uh, maybe we take slightly for granted here in Europe or that are less protected which are new springs and riparian areas, so all of these benefit also from higher protections than they would for instance um, under environmental law in Europe.
0: All right. Thank, thank you. Sean Feynman, you know, Ireland has the rain, but it doesn't have rainforests. So uh, the, the risk there for deforestation is not going to be the same. How do you propose that Ireland uh, would arrange uh, the production? You, you pointed out earlier, the 2017 uh, commission report, uh, which identifies Ireland as the, the, the member state with the largest potential Uh, for biogas uh, production. So how would this look in terms of sustainability and even food production and and the issues that uh, some opponents um, of of, uh, biofuels might present in Ireland?
1: Uh, Yes, thanks very much, Brian, for the question. Um, Well, firstly, the sustainability criteria of all EU bioenergy is governed by the strict criteria within the Renewable Energy Directive. So, um, and... Everything that's done from a bioenergy perspective has to comply with those that criteria. So the development of a biomethan industry, or indeed any other uh, bioenergy-based industry in Ireland, would have to be in in strict accordance and with those requirements. Um, Ireland is a very strong agricultural country. um, We're predominantly a food-producing country, obviously, with lots of um, exports of beef and other products, dairy products, and uh, so there is an opportunity for the development of a biomethane industry, uh, and that biomethane industry to be based on uh, the large volumes of agricultural wastes and residues, uh, which are currently being generated through our uh, food production systems. And so that would mean that uh, slurries from um, animal production and indeed potentially food waste and indeed other organic waste could be used uh, to generate biogas and that biogas be used in the transport sector uh, either pumped uh, into our fossil gas grid uh, as a blended uh, option or indeed as a um, off-grid option as well but everything that would have that that that's developed from the point of view of biomethane has to be done in a sustainable manner Um, And I think uh, a biomethan industry would very strongly complement the agricultural sector which we have here uh, and provide an opportunity for farmers uh, without having uh, any impact on food security within uh, Ireland. Ireland is one of the most food secure nations in the world, um, but we have big challenges because uh, from an emissions perspective in terms of agriculture, because it's such a large industry, and we don't have any significant heavy industry like other EU member states. So agriculture is our industry in terms of being a large contributor to our greenhouse gas emissions. So in order to assist the agricultural sector, we can do that by further growth and development of bioenergy. And uh, by doing that, then the agricultural sector becomes a solution to helping and assisting the decarbonization effort of the transport sector. However, and I conclude on this, in order for a biomethan industry to be developed here the cost of uh, difference between fossil gas and biogas is significant uh, in that you have to uh, have an ongoing feeding requirement from an uh, in terms of biogas and um, so there needs to be something to bridge that gap so there are various models across europe that uh, have been put in place by which that gap can be bridged to make it economically viable um, and and Some of those measures are exchequer-based measures um, in some member states, and others are market-driven measures and market-driven supports. So we need to see and have a discussion in Ireland around this to, to see what is the best option from the point of view of bridging that gap between production cost and fossil price at the moment. And that's our challenge. Other than that, there aren't any other barriers to the development of an industry. We have the feedstock. We have the... Uh, developers waiting and willing to uh, invest and to f- develop these facilities. Through our membership, we have the technology providers, and it will be done in a sustainable manner. So, really, it's ultimately down to the policy levers, as I mentioned in my presentation, that are required to make it happen.
0: Thank you, James. You, this is uh, this is the challenge, isn't it? You said there's no crisis mode at the moment. You know, everybody's gone back to to sleep as uh, business as usual on on the the environmental front. It seems. Uh, and you spoke about the lack of uh, levers. There's no way to to dial this up quickly. And uh, have we lost James? You Can't see him there. Let's see, James, you still there? All right, right. I'll come back to James. And see if he comes back in a second. Uh, Gustav, yeah, you sent me. Uh, James is back again. Can you, can you hear me, James? Uh, hey, yeah, we, can lo- hear we you lost you for a, a second.
2: That.
0: All right. So you, how, how do you get this transition uh, in a reasonable time frame as well? If, you know, if the sustainability question is answered uh, and that uh, you, we can manage uh, the production of, of biofuels uh, in a safe way, food security, environmentally, uh, the challenges uh, should be met as well. But the infrastructure required uh, to get us there, where uh, you know, electrification is not going to do it. We have this an intensely challenging timeline what needs to be done in ireland uh, to achieve this transition quickly well
2: i mean so uh, just just taking a look at the regulatory environment overall uh, and the challenge to 2030 neither the package of european fit for 55 legislation nor ireland's own climate action plan uh, have content in them which are fit for purpose you know which will achieve that level of change in the time frame uh, we're talking about so even in those kind of drafts uh, we're no we're, we're we're not there in terms of the overall legislation and then if we come down into the measures that need to be put into place to actually comply with that legislation uh, we're, we're kind of even further behind which is you know the gap between the rhetoric um of the kind of Glasgow type event and what's actually happening around is just huge and I can't stress that enough and that has nothing to do with you know my particular uh, sector or 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 even transport uh, specifically but climate action as a whole so, but to you know if we were to look at um using bioenergy to contribute say two or three times more than it is already so instead of five percent of the energy in the transport sector 10 percent or 15 percent. well certainly there's the low-hanging fruit of a couple of measures which have already been proposed and confirmed by the irish government but which they're not doing right now which is the inexplicable part which is you know uh, doubling the ethanol content of the petrol to 10 percent and increasing by another um five percent the amount of biodiesel in the diesel um, and after that so they're the easy ones they're the things that can be done immediately and then after that it's a question of getting biomethane into the heavy uh heavy goods vehicles and um, the, the trucks and the buses and that's a question of fleet turnover as quick as possible and there are lots of people uh buying new uh, buses and trucks all the time I mean there's a reasonable turnover which could be harnessed as well as encouraging a uh, slightly quicker fleet turnover over the next eight, eight years so that's another thing be doing. we could introduce E85 into the petrol uh, system and we could introduce um um you know drop in biodiesel into the into the diesel system so there are a few things that we could actually be doing quite proactively uh, which would bring about, you know, fifteen uh, percent renewable energy instead of five percent, in parallel with massive additional efforts on electromobility, modal shift, and you know, active modes of transport.
0: Thank you. I Gustav, gets your... in, well, we'll get part of the way. We're, <laughs> we have some time to draw the rest of it out. Yeah, Gustav, in Sweden, you know, what, what's your experience? Uh, you, I think you, you sent me a note that in uh, you've introduced D10 this summer, and you still have around. Uh, 1500 e85 filling stations uh, how long does this deployment uh, uh, take how long does this uh transition take are you optimistic that this can be done more quickly the learning curve and um, it should be shorter now mm,
5: yes i mean we started with e85 in the 1990s uh, so uh, we had we have a long history there and we um, we uh, had a good policy also until 2010 and after 2010 the policy for ethanol development has not been so good in sweden so we mainly switched over to renewable diesel uh, that was together with the food and feed uh, debate uh, and uh, so that hit the swedish ethanol development and we found out later of course that uh, uh, there is no problem with uh, food and feed uh, uh, competition so to say they actually help each other as james said before you we produce in or in their factory they produce ethanol and then they get a lot a lot of food or a lot of protein that can be used for human food uh, vegan food or for uh, uh, feeding animals but uh, anyway that's why we switched over to more diesel so the main uh, Biofuel in Sweden today is HVO. Uh, we also have ordinary fame, but uh, HVO is the big one. And personally, I run my car on HVO 100%, uh, and it's uh, available in many filling stations. Even though the E85 uh, stations are many more uh, still. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. In, like that. in terms of hot. And, and who supplies this? Uh, is it the traditional energy companies like the you know, the Exxon's and the um, the, you know, the Texaco? Yeah. These kind of companies. Mm-hmm. They, they are the the traditional oil suppliers are still pr- pr- putting the pumps uh, at the service stations with these fuels.
5: Yeah. We we had a period uh, the first fifteen years. Also another company was involved, uh, CECAB, and uh, d- delivered a lot of E85 and developed very well uh they are not there today and actually it's so it's the ordinary oil companies or circle k or so that delivers uh, uh or have filling stations and uh, today actually for the first time the ethanol or e85 price are higher than the gasoline price so it's uh, 1.8 euros for one liter and currently in france the price is 0.8 euros so there is some something strange on the Swedish market there. Uh, The current price for, uh, I mean, fuels are more expensive in Sweden since we have introduced uh, what we called a reduction quota. But I maybe can talk about that a little later. Uh, But that is anyway a way to introduce more biofuels, both in the gasoline and diesel sector. And actually, in 2030, then we will have a reduction of 66% in diesel, and to make that, you need to blend about 80% biodiesel already in 2030 to to reach this kind of reduction. But we believe that that's doable,
0: okay? But Thank it you. gets we a little expensive, okay? Um, but and in terms, just to, to ask on this again, in terms of what the government does to support this as well, if, if the objective is to reduce carbon emissions, Uh, will the government support that pricing to get the emissions done? Gustav?
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, now it's a market-driven system with this uh, reduction quota. So, and actually, it's it's also taxed a bit. It's the ordinary diesel, but currently in the diesel sector, it's 40% uh, biodiesel, roughly. And uh, on gasoline side, it's a lot lower, it's about 10-12% at the moment. So, uh, But there is no other support but this quota. Uh, So then the customers need to pay a little more. But we believe that there will be support soon for Swedish production of biofuels, both gasoline, ethanol and diesel versions. Uh, from uh, Swedish raw material, mainly from the Swedish forest then. And uh, our expectation is that the cost to produce uh, uh, one liter of renewable uh, fuel from the forest is 1.1 euro, something like that. So that's not so expensive, even though it's a lot more expensive than producing sug- from sugarcane ethanol, for example, or ordinary ethanol also
2: in Europe. Okay, thank you. James, do you want to jump really in there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, um, uh, coming back to the question of where the biofuels come from and the sustainability question we mentioned earlier on, um, there is definitely a, a very strong and well-regulated sustainability um, system in Europe for biofuels. That's not to say it can't be improved, and it should be improved, and it is being improved. Um, There is also a question of uh, policing it so that the actual physical fuels that do go into the system comply with that and that they comply with it genuinely. So we come back to um, Ireland's situation in particular. um, uh, uh, The biofuels that come into Ireland at the moment come from about 70 different countries. So you can imagine that there is just under 200 countries on the planet. So we're, we're taking them in from nearly half of those. And there's about a dozen different types. So there's several different types of ethanol, depending on exact the type of material, biomass or crop it's made from. And there's several different types of biodiesel. Uh, of the 70 countries and the 12 types that come into Ireland, it boils down to a large extent to use cooking oil coming from Southeast Asia. The vast bulk of the of Ireland's renewable energy and transport is used cooking oil coming from Southeast Asia. And there in in there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's a very good thing except for um the system needs to be policed and that goes for all forms of renewable energy whether it's going to be you know electricity or um uh, hydrogen or e-fuels or biofuels and um, it's uh, for as long as there's an opportunity to take kind of fossil or non-sustainable um kind of raw materials or raw energy and translate that into um, supposedly sustainable renewable uh, with false documentation or some kind of murky behavior along the supply chain and it's it can happen in any sector then that needs to be policed and there is a gap in europe in terms of policing that and that affects uh, all you know countries who are using biofuels and in particular these cooking oil areas so i would stress that the sustainability system is not bad it's getting better needs to get better the policing needs to get better but that's going to be across all renewable energy sectors policing is essential
0: Okay, Emily, you mentioned about certification uh, in terms of, of the sugarcane process as well. You know, there's often a concern when it comes to energy, about the greenwashing washing um, of, of products that would come into to the European system as well. You know, would, would European, would Irish uh, buyers have confidence that the certification, the quality of, of what's been produced and the veracity of the data um, is is on point?
4: Thank you, Brian. Um, so I think it's uh, important to come back then to Bio, which is the Brazilian uh, renewable energy or the biofuels national policy of Brazil. And Renovabio, um, because it's uh, blended into a carbon bond uh, system, uh, which is uh, under Brazil's national, uh, nationally contributed determin- determined contributions uh, to the COP uh, that we just had uh, recently. Um, all of this is independently audited, so um, uh, there is verifications that occur. Uh, not only, um, I would say, in order to feed into the national program, in order for producers to be able to emit carbon bonds, so they they emit these CBIOS which correspond to one tonne of CO2 not emitted in the process, Um, um, And that basically is, I would say, the carbon bond uh, uh, trading scheme that we have today functioning in Brazil. So what that means is that in order to be able to emit these carbon bonds, the mills must prove not only the efficiency of their processes, uh, the circular economy, for instance, that they have put into place in terms of their industrial processes, but also the zero deforestation um, uh, policy, which again, I think is important to insist goes way beyond Brazilian national law. So this does not allow a single tree to be cut. Um, and it is monitored not only through satellite systems, but it also goes through an independent uh, certification system, which um, is very important because it can lead to fines um, in different parts of the, uh, of the system, which is why there are many checks and balances in this.
0: Okay, if you'll allow me you. just it's to come back
4: to the E85 very briefly, because it was mentioned. Yes, just briefly, Why sure. is France such success on E85? Um, very briefly, I think that there have been two points. One, which is that there is a digressive uh, taxation rate system based on the carbon efficiency of fuels um, that was put into place a couple of years ago. And that actually has... That's why you've got the 0.85 euro uh, per litre at the tank uh, occurring in France, where you might not find that elsewhere, where you will find that the fuel might not have a specific taxation, which is different from that of fossil fuels. So that's uh, the number one criteria and the number one factor. The second factor of what's occurring in France, which I think is one, uh, certainly for public um, authorities to take into consideration, is that France has allowed um, basically the subsidization by cities, uh, by regions of the conversion box. So this is that small conversion box that you can get fitted onto your motor, which will uh, basically make uh, the car uh, adaptable in flex fuel up to E 85. Um, and so with the subsidization of the conversion boxes, uh, the region, uh, some of the su- southern regions of France uh, uh, allow people to go in and get a one euro conversion box. And that is also some of the incentives you can put into place very easily to encourage uh, the, bio, the take up of biofuels.
0: Okay. We have some questions on that. Kevin O'Sullivan asked, I have a diesel car at the moment. What adjustment or modifications required to run on bio or ethanol? Emily, same answer that you just gave. So for biodiesel,
4: it's like...
0: Go ahead, Emily. Go ahead.
4: So I mentioned, so in this case, we were talking about passenger cars, which are currently uh, on on petrol. For diesel, um, we know that heavy-duty vehicles are slightly more difficult to tackle in terms of um, the the renewable energy solutions that are available. Um, So I'm not aware of a current conversion box that would be available, but one could only imagine that that's really where we are heading uh, in terms of the development of that market. But uh, maybe Plinio can um, provide more
3: Uh, detailed uh, information on biodiesel. Sure. Solution for for diesel, fossil diesel, would be blending biodiesel or substituting diesel by by biomethane. Ethanol uh, is appropriate for auto-cycle engines, not diesel engines. So, um, for diesel, these would be the routes of solution thank you uh gustav you wanted to add to this
5: yes, i have an ordinary di- diesel car and then i can round that on hvo 100 uh, percent. so that's not a problem It actually hvo is a little lighter than normal diesel but it's the same energy content so it's not within the european diesel standard but it's in the u.s diesel standard so the same car in US uh, they give guarantee if you run on 100% HVO biodiesel but you don't get that guarantee in Europe but then a lot of brands have decided to give guarantee anyway so Volvo for example and Renault and Peugeot as well and uh, Mercedes is a bit behind it's only one car or something like that but uh, but if you have uh, uh, if you have a diesel car you can't run it on ethanol if you don't change it a bit. Uh, There has been uh, uh, trials with that, so it's possible to to produce ED95, so it's 95% ethanol, and then there is some ignition uh, material on 5% ignition substances. substances. So we run, in Sweden, we run uh, ordinary diesel trucks and buses on this ED95, and we also Changed an ordinary car; it was a Saab uh, diesel car, personal car. Uh, but if you change that, you have to run it only on E D ninety-five. And since it's not possible to fuel that, that that uh, won't happen really. But because then you need to fuel only with E D ninety-five, so to speak.
0: Thank you, James. You want to add something there?
2: Yeah, for the benefit of Kevin, who asked about his own diesel car. Uh, 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 these, the question of biofuels going into fuels into the existing petrol and diesel supply is about that stuff being those biofuels being blended in at source. So it's not really about the individual consumer, driver, vehicle owner going and making a choice and rolling up and uh, asking for it at a forecourt. Um, at the moment, all of Irish petrol contains 5% uh, ethanol already, that could be pumped up to 10, and all of Irish diesel contains 6 or 7% biodiesel in it already. So they're decisions that are made centrally in the blending of the fuel itself rather than something that individual car owners do themselves.
0: Okay, Gustav, quick uh, follow-up there.
2: Yeah. Uh
5: in ordinary diesel the usual blend of rme or fame is 7% but actually the if you have a very good quality on rme you could run your car on 100% rme as well i know several of the suppliers of uh, uh, rme uh, that does that but it, that's not approved by the car producers
0: yes okay thank you to scan through some other comments here clare ward says Where's the source for these numbers in CO2 per kilometer? Uh, Can we have links afterwards to resources? Uh, I guess so, I'll ask the team if they can uh, work that out. Thank you. And Claire also uh, said that uh, 0.6% of Brazil's landmass is 500,000 million kilometers square. I'll take your word for it, Claire. This is an area six times the size of Ireland. How is it scalable to the world's population without causing deforestation? Maybe of the panel wants to take that. Nick Armstrong says if biofuels are not derived from waste, etc., was produced from logging forests, then there is uh, a rise in greenhouse gases. I think we we touched on this already, uh, which will not be reabsorbed into new trees for decades. But sustainable can sustainable low carbon sources of biofuels contribute more than a small amount of fuel? And see what the panelists say with that. And uh, also. So, uh, Des Phelan. Des says timber haulage in Ireland is currently hauled by diesel trucks, uh, gross vehicle weight 46 tons from mountainous terrain. What bio uh, liquid fuel can we pursue? HVO. Let's take that question first from Des. Panel, who wants to have a go at that? Uh, Sean? And then uh, Plinio? what we sure, uh, as
1: right. james has said um a lot of the blending is done at source so for that indiv- that truck driver or the truck operator to do their own um inc- improve, increase the blending rates of their own fuel uh, is impossible unless we get uh, that blending done at source the only thing that could be done is that that truck uh, when that's been replaced could be changed to a and she buy a methane truck, and that biomethane could be in gener- uh, indigenously generated and supplied. So, um, as James has said, um, it's at source that the blending would take place. Um, but uh, the carbon footprint of that particular vehicle would be significantly increased as a result of increasing the blending rate. If it's a diesel truck uh, of um, biodiesel, um, we have members that are currently involved in biodiesel production. Um, and um, they have the capacity to uh, further increase and enhance that production as well. So, um, at an individual level, as James has said, it's it's not possible for a decision to be taken by an individual truck driver, uh, but uh, they can be supportive of a of a, a lobby effort to increase the blending rate, and that would assist us in our efforts to ensure that that happens and help from a, a carbon perspective.
0: Okay, so until the the fleet turnover happens and they can change the vehicle and then lobby for uh, the change in the blend. Uh, Plinio, you wanted to add there.
3: Uh, Sure. Uh, uh, First of all, the source of the uh, data that I mentioned uh, is um, Mali, which is a major auto uh, part uh, manufacturer in Brazil and supported by the Brazilian... um, Association of Automotive Engineers. Um, Talking about um, the amount, the land mass occupied with sugarcane for energy in Brazil. Uh, Well, first of all, let me recall that 19% of Brazil's uh, supply of energy um, comes from sugarcane. It's the second largest source of energy in Brazil, uh, uh, after only oil. which accounts for 33%, so sugarcane is 19%, and this uh, landmass, which is uh, 5.1 million hectares. Um, uh, For Brazil, uh, it's really um, a drop in the bucket. Uh, uh, Just to recall, uh, what is the size of Ireland? Uh, Ireland is 8.44 million hectares, so it would be pretty much uh, 60% of the land of Ireland which is responsible for substituting almost 50% of Brazil's gasoline. And let's recall that Brazil is the third largest user of fusing transport in the world. So uh, these are big numbers. Brazil is one of the 10 largest economies in the world. But it just says that it's doable. Um, um, The the amount of land which is occupied by mankind uh, for uh, uh, all users is 1.5 billion hectares uh, uh, all over the world. So, uh, you know, we are talking about um, uh, eventually the need of 40 to 50 million uh, hectares um, going into the future to achieve uh, a a more extended use of of bioenergy for transport uh, around the world. Okay,
0: but like you say, it's doable. Uh, From Tom Beresford, uh, are there specific technology developments required in an Irish context? I know we've touched on some of this. Um, Sean, James, in particular, anything you want to add to to that question? Tom, any any specific okay. te- technological developments required?
1: Um, I think if you look at it, um, sorry, James. Do you want... Okay, I just well, come in first. So... I think if you look at it, uh, sorry, James. Go on.
2: Well, coming back or covering both of those questions, the last guy with the truck hauling uh, timber, um, there are fleets of trucks in Ireland putting 20% biodiesel in them as well. So if you have a fleet of trucks or you're part of a fleet of trucks, then there's a possibility that you can can certainly buy, that fleet owner can source uh, much higher uh, buy fuel blend fuels if they want they are available the oil companies supply them and they're very eager and happy to supply them so that can be done uh, technical changes I mean all of the vehicles on the fleet uh, all of the vehicles on Irish roads can handle a bit more than they're uh, taking uh, as things stand and then it's a question of um change over of the fleet the other you know major technical uh, things that Ireland needs to consider Uh, not really, we're we're definitely among the lower users of renewable energy and transport, including bioenergy across Europe. So there are kind of very mature approaches that we could take that have already been rolled out in the other countries that don't represent big technical uh, challenges.
0: Okay, Sean, you want to follow up there? Thank you, James.
1: And nothing, I've I've nothing further to add, only just to say that um, the production technology uh, from the point of view of some of these fuels is mainstream, Uh, across Europe and indeed across the world. So it's not a challenge to mobilize these fuels if that's required. And just one point I'd like to come back to in terms of the figures, because Plinio mentioned figures there and references from a Brazilian context. Um, I know that our own transport report, which I uh, alluded to at the start, will be launched, um, we hope, next week. And that will contain figures from an Irish perspective in terms of CO2 emissions per one kilometer traveled. And this report has been developed by UCC Marae, so um, th- they are um, a reputable research body that have uh, analysed this from uh, uh, through the report which they've developed for ourselves. And in the co- in in that regard, um biofuels, um, the emissions um, thirty five grams per CO two or grams of CO two per one kilometre travelled. In 2020, compared to EVs uh, currently, of 80, 58. So, biofuels um, certainly less from an emissions perspective um, than um, EVs currently. And obviously, the uh, emissions from EVs will obviously be directed and dictated by the volumes of renewable electricity which go onto the system. And Ireland has ambitious targets uh, for the development of renewable electricity up to 80% renewable electricity by 2030. And um, so, as that renewable electricity mix increases, your electric vehicle um, emissions intensity would reduce, obviously.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, so one more question, I'll go back to Emily and talk about greenhouse gas emission reduction. Uh, David uh, says Can biomethane producers in Ireland sell their renewable certs to the diesel, petrol, fuel importers to offset their biofuels obligation if it is shown to be used in CNG usage in Ireland? Thus, increasing the value of biomethane injected into the gas system. I know that's technical. Anybody want to have a go at that? Sean James? No.
1: Possible? No, is the, possible. the answer is yes.
0: <laughs> you know, yes. That's it. It's a very simple answer. Yes. <laughs> okay, good stuff. and uh, please send in your questions. We have a few minutes uh, left still uh, for that. But if you want uh, a question answered, please. Send it in right now, uh, Emily, your know, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, you, can be reduced by 77% when using uh, liquid uh, biofuel uh, compared to other fossil fuels as well. This seems like a no brainer, you know, we're up against it in terms of the timeline. We, uh, we need to find quick solutions. We have a proven uh, system where the greenhouse gas emissions can be reduced when it comes to transport. What's holding this up?
4: Well, that is that really is the question. I think essentially a lot of confusion in Europe around uh, this sort of food versus fuel um, debate that started nearly a decade ago. And um, under that, yes, perhaps there are sectors that um, produce uh, some type of biofuel uh, that might be indeed, um, I would say, um, affected by this debate. But in the case of many others, such as sugarcane ethanol, this food versus fuel debate is entirely antiquated. And I think that that's actually been holding a lot of this back. The question of, can you produce food and fuel at the same time uh, without having any distortive uh, characteristics on your domestic market or international markets? Uh, And if anything, we have proven now that that is not the case. Um, So many studies, and I know we had a question about sources, so allow me to come back on the GHG reduction emission source there. Um, We're not making this up. This this comes from the new Renewable Energy Directive. It's every pathway has been tested and uh, the European Commission has attributed an efficiency uh, uh, test to each uh, pathway. Um, And in that regard, we'd say that when we were um, tested in the same way in California, we get a higher result there. Um, That just depends on each, um, I would say, country's own methodologies. So um, I, I will, for the purpose of this debate, remain on the figures which are provided by the European Commission. Um, again, I think that that really is the question that's holding things back. I think what was very interesting here, uh, and as mentioned by other uh, fellow panelists, um, is the question of uh, a, d- a potential displacement of carbon emissions from transport into um, energy production and these need to be considered so uh, for instance if you are going to go uh, down the electrification pathway then obviously uh the the uh you are going to be moving your emissions from that transport uh Um, bucket into the electricity production bucket so we need to account these things. Um, In the case of Brazil what's happened is that with the generation of bioelectricity as a a byproduct of the uh, sugarcane processing um, industry. Um, what's happening is that the bioelectricity generated is also uh, feeding into the electrification of fleets in Brazil. So we have a much more, I would say, integrated market. Um, and again, um, if I had one thing to say here, is uh, is maybe um, uh, to, to to look at all solutions and not necessarily be uh, closed off to any. Uh, do the data checking, and of course, any um, any further source of information and such a very happy provide.
0: Thank you, Emily. I to a quick follow-up on that?
5: Mm, yeah, I would like to mention about, I mean, the EU policy is currently that we should phase out uh, biofuels from energy crops, but if you consider the data from the Food and Agriculture Organization from the UN or USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and, and uh, I have looked on the data from 60 years back, and then if you compare the the growth of the world population from 60 years back uh, and today and also the grain production per hectare so actually the grain production per hectare has been 1.9 percent increase every year whereas the population has been growing by 1.6 percent so uh, okay. we grow more food per hectare every year uh, than, and that increase is quicker than the population increase. So there is no food versus fuel conflict. And I guess you all know that because, uh, I mean, EU has paid European farmers since 1990 or some years before 1990 not to produce food because we have a surplus production of food and it's a similar situation all over the world. At least everywhere there where people have money, they also get food. So there are always other reasons uh, for, for people not getting food, so to say. So I believe that we should definitely uh, use some of the European land, arable land, also in the future, to produce uh, energy and uh, biofuels. And uh, Ireland should, uh, in my opinion, not only use uh, waste volumes uh, to produce biomethane. You could also have uh, ethanol factories from corn or wheat, or so, uh, to uh, produce your own fuel.
0: Excellent, thank you. It seems to me this is uh, partly an economic answer as well. There's job creation opportunities within this. There are different uh, market stimulus opportunities. The innovation uh, that can be uh, driven through this uh, as well. So there's much more. To begin than, than simply those absolutely critical, uh, the, the reduction of greenhouse gases. Uh, one more quick comment from our audience, and then we're going to go to do our wrap up our remarks. And uh, not to just to show that we do pay attention, Claire Wards uh, says a question on sustainability. Uh, no, this is uh, one on indigenous people, which has disappeared. Um, Claire was asking why we didn't have indigenous people here. Soon to have a panel on Brazilian deforestation of indigenous people. Amazon sees worst deforestation levels in fifty years. Uh, Claire, I think we, we touched on this earlier. First of all, uh, the production of uh, sugarcane doesn't take place uh, almost uh, almost exclusively outside of, of the Amazon, so indigenous people uh, wouldn't be directly impacted uh, by the state of São Paulo. is is not an area where indigenous people um, are uh, numerous. Uh, so I think that's why we wouldn't have someone from the indigenous population here. It's simply not a, a significant part of this uh, conversation, though your point is noted. Uh, thank you. And a uh, quick comment from Emily on that. And then we're going to go to wrap up remarks. Emily.
4: Thank you very much, Brian. I'd like to up on this point because I think that we have a big mix of debates here although I am glad to be um, representing uh, uh, the gender diversity today which uh, obviously could be improved um, but I mean let, let's be very clear about this um, um, as anyone who is interested in the deforestation debate in Brazil or worldwide knows uh, the European Union um, adopted a regulation or a proposal for a regulation on the 17th of November to cover the question of embedded deforestation in commodities which are exported to the European Union. As you'll see from that uh, list of card targeted commodities, which has been drawn up by the European Union, we know which are the commodities worldwide that are drivers of deforestation. We know which are the derived products which also create um, an appetite, I would say, for the embedded deforestation um, that is consumed here in Europe. There's a reason sugarcane ethanol and sugarcane products are not involved uh, in that proposal or not included in that list. It's because they are low ILUC risk products and they've been certified as such, not only by the European Commission, but also, again, it's an independently audited process. Um, The the producers of sugarcane ethanol do not engage in illegal or legal deforestation and are, again, present in the south-central region of brazil that is in the south of brazil where it could actually get quite cold um perhaps not as cold as today uh but uh, i think uh that there, there is quite a lot of misunderstandings in this discussion so hopefully that will have clarified
0: thank you emily okay let's go to a wrap up let's we'll go in the same order uh, that we started as well so uh, let's go to sean uh, thanks very much
1: brian want. and yeah uh, thanks very much brian i think clearly um, we have advocated today that bioenergy can play a very important part in a future energy system um, and that in order to tie this back to our our theme of today a sustainable irish transport system and how to ch- achieve carbon neutrality i think the message needs to be very clear um, it will need all options from a technology and fuel point of view uh, for that to happen And um, so alongside an ambitious rollout of electrification, electric vehicles, we need to ensure and increase the blending rates in terms of biofuels and develop an indigenous biomethane industry. Um, And really, all I can do is call on our regulators and our policy makers and our government to make that happen by working uh, to put the legislative framework in place. That those bidding rates can increase and we as an organization and as an industry and our members are more than willing to work with uh, all stakeholders in order to ensure that we can decarbonize the transport system and that bioenergy is a strong part to play in that mix thank you and thank thanks you, brian strong. for your Excellent. own facilitation and also i'd just like to finally um again acknowledge the uh, embassy of brazil dublin apex brazil and indeed uh, our speakers and um and attendees for this, today's session and yourself, Brian, as well, for thank facilitating you. from your active. Thank you.
0: Cheers. thank you, Sean. James, over to you, 30 seconds.
1: OK, so uh,
2: okay, we make ethanol, but uh, it's no longer our primary thing. We make plant protein, and we will make more ethanol in the future, which will be available for the fuel, but primarily because we'll be making more plant protein, and the ethanol will be uh, kind of a co-product of that. Uh, quickly, the European Commission will become less relevant over the next eight years because the the crisis is something that the Commission is not uh, designed to sort. It'll be something for member states to do. And thirdly, the Irish fleet grew by fifty thousand petrol and diesel burning vehicles last year alone, and that is easily dwarfs the uh, growth in the electromobility. That's not to so celebrate it. It's just to say that the Irish people, for means reasons of cost and convenience, are still voting for diesel and petrol and that's not going to change uh, anytime quick and we need to address that anyway thank you
0: Excellent. James thank you indeed uh Plinio over to you 30 seconds
3: thank you Brian um final note um I think electrification is a tendency but um the battery is only one option you can do electrification with biofuels through hybrids and fuel cells uh nearly in the future uh, there is also a lot of room to improve the efficiency in internal combustion engines using sustainably produced uh, biofuels. So uh, there is proven record uh, about this in the world, and uh, it's scalable, replicable, affordable. Uses the same infrastructure. Um, it's drop-in, so um, it should be considered as a viable option. Thank you.
0: Excellent, Thank you, uh, Emily. Thirty seconds.
4: Very briefly. I mean, uh, ethanol, again, is already decarbonizing transport systems around the world. Um, It's cheaper than petrol, uh, most of the cases, and um, it can be made available now. So I really do hope that um, Ireland takes uh, the the next step forward to um, at least put that basic benchmark E10. Thank
0: you. Gustav?
5: Okay thanks. Uh, Sweden is very much pro biofuels. Uh, anyway, it took uh, until first of August this year to introduce E10. We argued for E10 in many years, but it was actually mainly the oil company association and the oil companies that that had several different arguments uh, not to introduce it. And you can understand that because it's not really their product. But uh, it was very easily done when it happened. And uh, I should uh, recommend Ireland not to wait so long as we do. So do it as soon as possible. And uh, also start to produce some ethanol from uh, your own agriculture. And good luck.
0: Thank you, Shuriken, the Swedish solution to climate change. And just to thank our panel uh, today. So uh, we have Plinio, Emily, Sean. James and Gustav, an excellent conversation. It's a huge topic. I really appreciate uh, the, the different dynamics that you brought to the conversation today. I thought that was uh, well set out. And uh, to our team, uh, Malta, Zoran, uh, Tamar uh, from New and our social media team who uh, you never get to see, but uh, they're always there uh, right behind. And our thanks today to the Embassy of Brazil in Dublin, Apex Brazil and the Irish Bioenergy Association uh, for the partnership today. We appreciate it a lot. An important topic More to to come on this in in the future. Uh, I wish you a good day wherever you are. I'm Brian McGuire.